Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Inside your bulletins, you have a list of ten things. Ten, those are the list of ten themes of sermons that I'm preaching on 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes young Timothy, Pastor Timothy, in, in this Ephesian, Ephesus church or in Ephesians. And he writes them, him and he says, Timothy... I am writing these things to you if I don't how to teach the church how to behave in my house. And week one, we talked about we are called to cherish the gospel. Would you cherish the gospel that's here in this video? Cherish the gospel that's in this word? Cherish the good news and never get over it. And then we said if you cherish the gospel, it's going to lead to sound teaching, right doctrine, and you're going to want to eat it up. You're going to want to go after it. You're going to read it in books. You're going to hear your pastors teaching it. You're going to read it. You're going to study sound teaching in small groups. And sound teaching is that which is faithful to God's word and useful for your life. And if it's useful for your life, it's going to lead to a devotion to God we saw last week that leads to a life pleasing to God. Oh, you and I are called to grow, to be so devoted to Him that it leads to a life pleasing to God. That's godliness. Oh, that we would grow in godliness. Now, this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to look at what Paul says, Church, pray, pray, pray. And, And here I want you to pray this. And I'm going to give you motivations for why you should pray, and it should lead to a call to action. And so with that said, let's pray. God, would you grow your church by by building in us a people so shaped by your nourishing strength by the Holy Spirit, by in this, this next 30 minutes, by your word, And that we would obey and we would have hearts motivated in new ways because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I read this this week. A driver is struggling to find a parking space. Have you ever been there? After 45 frustrating minutes, he begins to pray. Lord, I can't take this any longer. If you open a space up for me, I swear I will give up gambling and I'll go to church every Sunday. (laughs) Suddenly the clouds part and the sun shines on an empty parking spot. Without hesitation, the man says, never mind, I got it. I found one. Now, perhaps this humorous story, though funny... It was in Reader's Digest. Uh, maybe it describes your prayer life more than you would like to admit. Uh, when, did we, when do we pray? Right away? All the time? Or when all else fails? And what motivates our prayers? Comfort? I need this. I want this. It'd make my life easier. I just need this. 
Or is God shaping in us a great longing for God's glory? Do we really believe, unlike this person praying, do we actually believe that God answers prayers? And when he does, do we have the eyes to actually see that actually he is answering? Prayer could be said in so many different ways or described in so many definitions. And I said it in a few minutes ago when I began our pastoral prayer. It is a pouring out of our hearts to God in praise and in petition and crying out to him, please do this, God, and confessing our sins and thanking him. Paul wrote the same church, and he said at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, you as a church need to be praying at all times in the Spirit. Meaning, the Spirit is there to help you pray with all prayer and with supplication. You want to know what supplication means? It is the offering up unto God for other people. It's praying for other people, requests unto God. It's like intercession, requests of intercession. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray. Would you look with me at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7? I'm going to read this, and then I want us to see four points in this passage. Paul writes, first of all, so Paul's starting a new section. He's saying, first of all, I'm giving you instructions on the church. This is what I want you to keep in mind. And notice, he's doing this in the context of their gathering together regularly. And when you gather together, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Okay, what I have here, and if you have in the back of your notes, I have from here the text. I just, I'm sorry, the alliteration flows. I got four C's for you this morning. Here they are. The command of prayers, the content of our prayers, the conviction of our prayers, and the call to action from our prayers. Got that? The command to pray, the content of our prayers, the conviction, and then the call to action. Let's look at them in order. First of all, the command of prayers. This may sound like an odd way of saying it. Don't you mean, Pastor Daniel, the command to pray? Not the command of prayers. That sounds strange. Well, look at verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplication, I'm sorry, supplications 
And I said, I defined that term wrong earlier. It actually means entreaties unto God, particular petitions unto God, prayers. That's a general term for all kinds of praying. It it just, a catch-all term. Intercessions, that means, God, please be with Barb. Her health is struggling. Be with Dan and help him at work. And God, be with John this week. Just give him growth in his life. And Sarah, would you please work in her life? And God, would you be with Jacob today? And God, would you be with Megan? That's intercession. And thanksgivings. Well, can you know what that is? Thank you, God. Thank you for her. And thank you for helping me today. Okay, he says, I urge you, hear the command of prayer. And I'm going to say prayers. Chapter 1 is about the gospel in the church and in Paul's life. And now he comes into chapter 2 and he says, and you better, you need to pray and teach the church to pray. They, when they gather, they pray. When they go apart and scatter, they pray. When they come into houses and small groups, they pray. When they come into the temple, they pray. When there's a need, they pray. When, they're, when there is preaching, there's going to be prayer. We pray. And as Pastor Mike preached just a few weeks ago in Acts 2.42, he said, he, quoted, he read this verse as his main text. They, the, the revived church, the, or the new church, the church that just got saved and is growing and exciting, they devoted themselves to teaching, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. This passage says we are to pray. We are to pray. Paul is actually assuming corporate prayer. Do you know what corporate prayer is? That's what we just did this morning when I got up. And and maybe you struggled with paying attention for as long as I prayed because that seemed like, wow, that's a long time to hear one person talk to God. And we are praying. And Paul assumed, like from the Old Testament, the Psalms being written, the prophets, the priests, They would gather the people and they would pray and everyone would hear and they would listen and they would agree and they would say amen or amen. We find that in the Psalms. We find that in the letters to Paul, this calling of amen. Yes, I believe it. I agree. Paul said, you, when you gather together, you're going to pray. You're going to talk to me. You're going to make that a priority. Now, this doesn't exclude private prayer. The Bible teaches that we are to, each one of you, to Get scattered today. You're going to go to your homes. You're going to go to your bedrooms and to your bathrooms and to your cars. And you're going to go to your living rooms. You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to go about your day. You're to pray. You're to pray on your own. You're to pray when you're setting aside a time to pray. And you're to pray when you're driving in your car. You're going to pray when you sit down to eat. And when you lay down and go to bed, you offer up like breath to life is that. We pray. God, I need you. God, I offer, pour out my heart to you. I praise you. I need you. That's petitions. I I need you. Help me. God, so-and-so needs you. I pray for you. That's intercession. Hear the command to pray. Do you pray together? Or do you avoid prayer? Am I coming to this morning service where some of you are in a place where you're struggling to pray? Have you found yourself in a season of life where I've had some say to me, I went through three months and I could not pray at all. Are you there? I pray that by God's mercy, He would welcome you into this invitation of saying, 
I want you to call unto me. I want you to pour your heart out to me. Do you pray together? We should make our small groups, part, part of our small groups should be prayer meetings. And I know many of you are doing that already. You're taking requests and you're crying out to God. I'm going to challenge you towards motivation on that and content of how you should pray, but we should pray. We should gather on Sundays and say, I'm not here to just hear the preaching of the word and I'm not just here to sing. I'm here to pray. And I realize that one or two or three representatives lead us in prayer. But when he prays, I say, amen, because I believe as he's praying that my participation in that, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the same, I'm, I'm applying certain names as he prays for unbelievers. I'm taking to you, God, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and I'm joining you, Pastor Daniel or Gus or Pastor Mike or whoever is praying We are to pray. The command to pray is there. Now, let's move to the second. That's the content of our prayers. This passage tells us what we're supposed to pray for. So what do we pray for? Well, all of you, the best place to start on what to pray for in general would be what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 7 in the book of Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He tells us to pray like that, meaning we should take that and go, what does God want me to pray? I need to learn from this prayer and... In Luke, he says, pray this. So I say, it's a good thing to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray scripture. I'm going to pray what Jesus said to pray. I'm going to be careful that it's just not a mantra, blah, 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 blah. There, I did my mantra of the day. I did my, like, my, do this. No, hallowed be your name. Oh, God, make that the desire of my heart. This is not a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, but you couldn't start, if any place, better than the Lord's Prayer in priorities, and what God wants us to pray. But in this passage, he, he gives us a specific content that I want to challenge you to prayer this morning. Not one person here that is a believer can't apply this into your own life. Would you please apply this this morning? Would you apply it in small groups? Would you apply it in women's Bible study on Tuesdays? Would you apply it on Wednesday night and come on Wednesday night to pray? Because we want to apply this. I want, I want you to see the focus. He says, we urge you to pray for all kind. He says, for all people. There's the content. All, we pray for all people. So how many people? All people. For, and then he gives, in fact, I think you could say what Paul means is you can't pray for every single person in the world. And he's not so much saying, God, every time you pray, pray for everybody. But he's saying pray for all kinds of people. Just like, you, just like one kind of people is kings. Verse 2 is a, a subcategory or an ex- example of it. You pray for kings, governmental positions. Why? That you may lead a peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified life in every way. Now, Paul is not saying pray so that government officials will 
will just do these things and so you can have a comfortable, peaceable, American dream type of life, a nice retirement, a nice home, low taxes, have all these things and it's going to be good and you can coast off into your retirement and enjoy life. Pray for that. That's not what Paul is saying. He said, you got to realize the context of this is persecution is happening in the church. It's hard to be a Christian. If you say, if you say I... I'm, I'm following Jesus now. I've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might lose your family. And you might lose your life. You might lose your freedom. And so they're hiding underground in churches. They're having, they're having to escape certain things. Paul had to escape many times from being killed before he actually was eventually executed for his faith. And Paul is saying, would you, would you pray for all these leaders why? So that you could, you could just flourish in a peaceful life, living out your Christianity in all systems of life. All of your life, you live it out. Someone get me a glass of water. I'd appreciate it. Got it. Thanks. Um, he said that we are to pray in all manner. Like we should pray for those. And so here's the, here, let me, let me sum this up. What do we pray for? First of all, we pray for all people. Including in all those people, we pray for people who will impact society and help with the flourishing of our lives for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. What does that mean? God, would you help President Trump that he would so lead in such a way that the gospel would flourish, not the American dream. God, would you be with our governors so that the gospel will flourish? Will you be with our county commissioners for the gospel to flourish? Will you be with our school superintendents for the gospel to flourish? Will you be with our judges? Would you be with our justices? Will you be with attorneys? I'll tell you another influencer, our, our media. Would you be with our media so that the gospel in the churches will flourish? Thank you. Would you be with all these things? So we need to, when you get in small groups, start thinking about those things. Who do we need to pray for? Would you, would you add that into your prayers? Would you add that into your personal prayers? Paul told us to do that. We should do that on Sunday mornings. We should pray for our government officials and we, for our school leaders. Okay? He also wants us to pray for the lost. So when you get up, when you obey, the content of our prayer should be, God, would you save, would you, would you work? But I asked you to, to, to get a directory. There's, I think there's still a few out there if you don't have one. Put it with your Bible. Make it an important part of your life. And you should go through and pray for it. And you got a picture for almost everyone. And you, you pray for, say, oh, I'm, I'm going to pray for the Van Selfies. And I'm going to pray for Steve Spencer. And I'm going to pray for Mary. Um, and I'm going to pray for Russ and Sandy. And I'm going to pray for Chris. And I'm going to pray for Tracy and Jim. And, I'm, and, and you, God, would you please work in them? Maybe take a page or two every day and you'll pray through the church in a month. But this passage has a particular burden for who to pray for. He's praying for the work of unsaved people coming to know Christ. He, Paul wants you and me to be so burdened that our prayer lives take on a shape that yes, we pray for all people, including those in this church, but we pray for unbelievers. Do you see that? And I want you to see that by looking at what he starts to say in verse 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. He jumps into God is a God who saves. So you pray for all people. 
Because God saves. And do you get the connection? God wants you to pray that He'll do more saving in this world. He'll do saving through your prayers. Of this passage, Faith Church, we need to be a praying people on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday night, in your small group, and in your home, and in your life, for people that you know by name, and, and you pray, God, would you save them? Would you open their eyes? Just like, just like you opened Bob's eyes, and you opened Kat's eyes recently, and Emily's, and, and others. You, you could take Bible passages and say, God, would you, Deuteronomy 36, would you circumcise their heart? Would you, like Ezekiel 11, give them a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone and then see you rightly? Or Ezekiel 36, would you put your spirit in them? Or would you, I pray, Father, that they would come to Christ and trust fully, John 14, 6. Or you could pray that God would open their hearts to believe the gospel, Acts 16, 14. Or you could pray that God would free them from the slavery of sin that each one of us are in apart from God's grace. Second Romans 6, 17. Or you could pray that God would that Satan's blinding influence would be removed by God. 2 Corinthians 4. Or you could pray, pray that they, God would grant them repentance. 2 Timothy 2, 25. Would you pray for the work of all kinds of people? Would you here at this church, would you let us obey in faith to God that we would pray for the most unlikely converts around us? Think right now in your life, who is an unlikely convert to Christianity? Who do you know that right now seems so distant from God, so unlikely to be someone that would be on fire for God, giving his entire life to serve Jesus Christ our Lord? You should pray for them. And why would you think that he or she is a more unlikely convert than you? You see, no one is saved but by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. The most difficult and most pleasant co-worker you should pray for, your neighbor, and if you don't know their names, please get to know them and write them down and start praying for them and praying for opportunities to get to know them. I'm talking about the rude neighbor and the friendly neighbor. Pray for Republicans and Democrats and Independents and pray for Trump fans and never-Trumpers and pray for judges and school board officials and for policemen and social workers and pray for the rich and pray for the poor and for white and black and Latino and Muslims. Pray for those who walk through this door each Sunday. Somebody you don't know, would you pray for them because you don't know where they are? We pray if you're here this morning, and I want you to know you've been prayed for, most of you not by name, but we pray that God will bring you into a true and saving knowledge of our great God. We must look at everyone and say, no matter who they are, there is a person that can be saved by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. And that's why I get on my knees and I cry out to God, save them. Now, that's the content of our prayers. We are to pray and we're to pray for people. We're to pray for all people, especially those that are lost. We need to pray that they will be saved. That's according to this passage. But I want you to see the conviction. Please, please hear this because I'm going to give you four ways in which your prayers this week, 
I pray that you'll start praying for lost people if you haven't. And if you have, here are four ways for you to, to, to go to God with some motivation and some drive. Here's some conviction. Here's four convictions you and I need to have as we pray for the list. I got a list right here. This page is filled with... There's some of your names are on this. And there's people out that are connected to this church. And I got a box next to them. And I'm praying, God, would you please save them? Here are four convictions that are seek, I'm seeking to use to drive me to pray for them more earnestly. Here they are in their number one. It pleases God to pray this way. See that in that verse? This is good. And it is pleasing to God in the sight of God our Savior. It pleases God for me to get on my knees and say, God, would you save Brett? Would you save Alex? Would you save Devin? Will you save Clara? Would you save Ryan? And would you work in Richie? And will you work in so-and-so? It pleases God. You want to please God? Christians want to please God, not to earn His favor, but they delight it. And He says, it pleases God that you pray this way. I hope that, that that matters to us. So know this week you get to please God by praying for it. And why would God move you to obey Him that pleases Him if He didn't plan to do something with those prayers? Okay? That's the first motivation or a conviction. I, I, go to, I go to my, get into my car and drive to work. I, I sit down with my Bible before I go to work or whatever it is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for this list. Why? With a conviction, number one, it pleases God. Number two, God desires to save sinners. See that? See the last phrase of verse three and then into chapter, verse four of chapter two? God, our Savior. Paul goes, church, our Savior saved us. God, our Savior saved us. Verse four, who desires all people to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He desires to save, and so you should pray to a God that tells you to pray, says He'll answer prayer, and desires to save people. Now, that's, if, you're, if you're a deep-thinking Christian, thinking through all the, all the matters of, of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, you might start thinking, first of all, does this mean, Pastor Daniel, that it implies that all will be saved. If God desires it, will He do it? Uh, and the answer is this does not mean that all will be saved. In fact, the whole Bible teaches that he, there is going to come a judgment after our death. And we will be judged. And only those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But this passage says that He delights to save sinners. He is an absolute sovereign God who declares that He desires to save. And He tells us to take a message and to pray for a message of the good news to go into people's hearts and lives and to deliver that message with loving lives, godly lives. Second Peter 3 says, Some count slowness, but He's patient towards us. If you're here this morning and you aren't yet there. You've been hearing the message week after week or year after year, and you say, I'm just not there yet. I, I'm just not there ready to put my whole lot in with Jesus. I'm not ready to fully trust in Him and make Him my Lord and Savior and then, and then, and then show it through baptism and being part of God's people and grow. He is patient with you, 
But I, I want to urge you, don't take his patience lightly because it'll come to an end. Every time you hear the word of God, you're either accepting it or you're rejecting it. And there'll come a day when he'll say, you'll reject it no longer. Either he will by his mercy open your eyes and in some cases you'll be hardened. Oh, would you this morning, would you receive the good gift of his patience? He is willing that none should perish but all that will come to repentance. In his mystery, he is in control of all who will be saved. And so we're going to pray, God, save, you, save this person and he desires to save so conviction number two should be, oh God, you don't, have a desi- you don't desire to, to, to punish the wicked, but to rescue them by giving them. So when you pray for Mike and Ray and Robert, when you pray for Michael, when you pray for Amanda, when you pray for Dave, you're saying, God, you don't desire. You, don't, you desire to save. Would you save her? Today, will you, will you save my daughter? Because you desire to save, and God, I'm coming to you, and I believe that you want me to pray this. So, conviction number two, God desires to save. Conviction number three, there is only one true God, and he deserves to be worshipped by everyone. Notice how he moves in here. He says, he desires all to be saved. And then verse five, for there is one God. There is only one God. We pray for the names. You you pray for your daughter or you pray for your husband that's not saved or you pray for a relative or your neighbor or your boss because there's only one God. There's salvation in no other God but God alone. And that God deserves to be worshipped. And here's a conviction that as we grow in Christ, remember last week I said godliness is a devotion to God. I want God more than anything. And that, that... lives it out in the rest of my life. I want God to be praised. I, I, the reason why I want my neighbor to become a Christian is not so I can put a notch on my belt and feel spiritual or I accomplish something. And it's not even because I feel compassion for him, which I should feel compassion for him. But it's because I'm growing to love this God and He deserves to be worshipped by every creature He made and I want Him worshipped. And I'm jealous for His name. I I think He and she and my daughter and my husband needs to worship that God too because I'm growing to love Him and I want Him worshipped by everybody. That's the motivation for missions. God would be glorified elsewhere. Not just in my heart, but in other hearts. That's what I want. There's a conviction for you to start praying. God, would you save Lauren? Would you save Angela? Would you save Barbara? Would you save so-and-so? Because you're one God. And they need you. And you made them to worship and glorify you. And they'll never find joy apart from you. And you deserve the glory. And I want you to be glorified. God loves to hear that kind of conviction out of his prayers. And you can do that. You can grow. You can pray for that. Here's the last conviction. Jesus, number four, Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and he died to offer the gift of salvation to everybody. Through faith, we learn in John 6, he, for a free message that says, if you today 
will be- repent of your sins, believing in Him and putting your trust in Him as Lord and Savior. He will save you. He will make you God's Son and will never let you go and will transform your life little by little often, but He'll start to do a work immediately. Oh, Jesus, see this passage? There is one God, verse 5. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is our hope. This should be our song. This should be our delight. There is one mediator. You and I could never bridge the gap to God. Your neighbor can't get to God. Your daughter, your son, your spouse cannot get to God. He and she needs someone to bridge the gap and mediate between you and God because of your sin. And God's not sitting there. Who's going to do it? God said, In my love, I'm going to send my son as a mediator who will bridge the gap. And how did he do it? When he died on the cross, it says he paid a ransom. He was a substitute ransom is the word it means. In order for everyone who believes on him, he becomes that ransom, bridging that big gap between us and God. And he brings us to himself and restores a fellowship that we were made for. But because of sin from our birth, we never had. Oh, we, th- isn't this reason to pray? Isn't it reason to pray that there is one mediator who gave himself for a ransom? And we need with those motivations to go to God through Jesus and say, Father, I, mean, I have this list here for Jake. And I have this list here for Sandy. And I have this for Brittany and Courtney. And I pray, God, that because Jesus died on the cross for, to save sinners, would you be... Would you so bring the mediator Jesus into their lives so that they would see him as he is and receive him and have life? Okay? The conviction of our prayers is found in these verses. It pleases God. He desires to save sinners. There's only one God and he deserves to be worshipped. And there's only one Savior, one mediator, and he paid a ransom for all who believe. Now, Can you believe, though, that God intends to actually change history because of our prayers? Here's the thing is, I believe God is absolutely sovereign. I believe that he is in control of all things. We do not manipulate him by our prayers. We don't like, oh, we're going to do this. And God, if we pray enough, that when I pray and I start praying earnestly, I have this list. Part of my conviction is God's put these names on my heart through some of you and through my own relationships. And And when I start praying and keep praying and I have a grown devotion to pray, I start thinking, who put that desire in my heart for the first place? It's God. Why would I not think that God wouldn't want to save these people if he put them in my life and in my heart? So I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe that God is going to answer. You realize that God works that way. He's going to work through your prayers, your persistent prayers. So the fourth and final point of this passage is the call to action. And that act, that's applied in verse 7. Paul says, this is why I've been sent as a preacher and apostle to preach this gospel that you're praying for in the souls of people. That's why you, church, are Christians because the gospel went out and God answered the prayers of people and you were saved. And so... You and I must hear the call, and we are called to action. We are called to pray. We are to obey this command. The call, we are to pray and pray and commit to prayer. And each of us are wired differently, but in our own ways, we are to invite. 
We are invited into Christ. We are invited into relationships that would bring... I, there are people in this room that I'm like... I, I'll, I'll go to someone in the room and I'll say, Hey, will you take so-and-so out? Because I just think you'll do a great job of talking to them about Jesus. I, I can't do it very well. Not, not in the way you'll be able to do it. So some of you, you need to think in terms of who's in my life that I can reach out to. And we pray for one another. And we are to go. My, the, the call of this passage, the call to action is... We're to pray to the lost together in our services, small groups, Wednesday nights, and at, on our own. And we are to pray for our lost friends. We need to know who they are. Would you make a list if you don't already have one? That list that you would just, you would, you would go and wear that page out or that, those cards out or whatever it is out, and you would pray and pray and pray for them. And would you be more, would, let's ask God to help us be more attentive would each of you pray that as you think about Easter coming, who is it that I can invite to Easter Sunday? It's a great opportunity to invite them. Maybe they won't come any other Sundays, but Easter, it just seems right. They should go to church. They know that, and you invite them to church, and God might do a work in their lives. Or you might invite them over to play cards, and you might invite them to watch a movie together, or you might invite them to play another game. But get into people's lives. Start to pray and get to know these people. I want to, I want to give you this 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 final illustration. George Mueller is a hero of the faith when it comes down to praying. He lived 150 years ago. He started many orphanages in England through prayer. He prayed that God died for unbelievers. And he wrote in his diary in 1844, he wrote this. I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission. I didn't take a break. Every, I didn't miss a day. Whether I was sick or in health, on land or on sea, because he traveled a lot in his later, later life, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five were converted. I thank God and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed and then the second one was converted. I thank God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. I thank God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. 36 years later, he wrote, the other two, the sons of one of Mueller's friends, was still not converted, he wrote. This is what he wrote in his diary. But I hope in God. I pray on and I look for an answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted. But after he died, he used a parable Jesus told about praying, saying, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Luke 18.1 400 years ago, Richard Baxter, an old pastor who would gospel, he wrote this, and I'm going to end with this. Let your heart yearn for your unsaved or ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is what but a step between them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting, ready to seize on them. If they die unsaved, they will be lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned as long as you're saved? 
If so, you have sufficient cause to pity yourself, for it is a frame of spirit utterly inconsistent with grace. Do you live close by them? Or do you meet them in the streets or work with them or travel with them or sit and talk with them and say nothing to them of their souls? If their houses were on fire, you would run and help them. Will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? Oh, Lord, I pray that like Paul, we would hear his urging that we would pray all kinds of prayers for all people, including those that are lost around us. Pray for unbelieving children, unbelieving spouses. I pray for unbelieving uncles and grandparents and moms and dads. I pray for the unbelieving neighbors that we have. I pray for any unbelieving person in this room. They would be a former unbeliever. For that to happen, you need to work. Pray for you to drive in us a motivation to please you and long for you to be worshipped because you desire to save and you gave us a Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Call us to action, both in prayer and in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.